0: Hi, I'm David Russo.
1: And I'm Jared Friesen. And this is My Friend the Philosophy.
0: A series of conversations about following Jesus through friendship. Today, Jared breaks down some of the key ideas and concepts of attachment theory as we discuss the way it informs our relational life. Yeah. So we're, we're coming in like on a, a tear of a fast plane today. (laughs) (laughs) We just started talking a few minutes ago and we were just feeling like there's some good juju on the conversation. So we hit record and Jared, um, you want to just kind of tee up our, our talk for today and unpack a little bit about these different attachment theories um, that you're kind of diving into. Oh
1: man, I just, I don't even know where to start, to be honest, because it's so groundbreaking. It's, mm. it's messy. Yeah, There's a lot of hope in it. There's a lot of pain in it. Um, So for the last year, I've been studying something called attachment theory. And in a nutshell, it is... Attachment theory is a theory that explains how and why we relate to people the way that we do. Which is a to-the-bone human thing. Mm. It is Mm. a everyone is asking, how do I relate to you?
0: Yeah, it's a universal question everybody's asking themselves.
1: Yeah. And what they're finding, what psychologists and therapists are finding is that how we relate to people is predominantly based on the first year to two years of our life. Wow. Our primary caregiver, it's usually the mother, but also the father has a role in this. Mm. The way that they treat you the way they care for you emotionally, specifically emotionally, has a way of forming you.
0: Right. Pre two years old. So, this is Pre-two literally years you have zero like agency at this point, like no, no control. You, yeah.
1: Yeah. Most of this like relationship with your parents, you have no memory of, mm. but yet it is some of the most formative events of your life. Wow. Um, and so there's three kinds of attachments. There's the ambivalent attachment, the avoidant attachment, and the chaotic attachment. Mm. And we could have a conversation about each attachment for an episode. Sure. But we're not doing that today. <laughs> but basically, the uh, the avoidant attachment is formed in an individual when the primary caregiver is unavailable for them, Mm -hmm. when they're emotionally unavailable. Um, The ambivalent attachment is formed when the primary caregiver is inconsistent and uh, intrusive. So inconsistent mm. meaning sometimes I'm emotionally there for you and sometimes I'm not. Right. And sometimes we're going to play parentification where it's, the, it's when the parent becomes the child and the child becomes the parent. That's when mm. they are becoming intrusive. Care for me, child. Care for me.
0: Wow. That's a great way to describe intrusive. I've never thought about that, but like almost demanding the needs from the child. Like those, those parental type needs, like in reverse, like you need to be my soother. You need to soothe me and comfort me, child. Absolutely. Okay. Okay.
1: And so, so the ambivalent, they learn that, uh, that they, they often become needy and desperate for connection. They believe that other people are trustworthy but because they are constantly rejected or inconsistently rejected, they themselves are not trustworthy. So they become outward focused. Got to go mm. find someone. Got to right. f- connect and attach to someone. Where yes. the avoidant person, based upon all the pain and their attempt to disconnect from that pain, they find that people aren't trustworthy. And they can only care for themselves. Yes and Got it's it. it's really really important to note that each person no matter what attachment style they did not choose this mm. which leaves david that leaves all the room for compassion mm. Mm. if if you are a avoidant attachment or if if you are an ambivalent attachment yeah you didn't choose that which means the tension in your in your mind and your heart to find security and home you have a role in your healing but it's not it's not your fault right right so there's also a third attachment and this is called the chaotic attachment and this is the this is the attachment that uh breaks I mean, all of them are heartbreaking, but this is the one that is deeply heart wrenching, mm. and this is the combination of both the ambivalent and the avoidant attachment. Mm. It's often that someone who is chaotically attached was raised in a harmful environment, an yeah. abusive environment, and they find themselves. This individual find, finds themselves uh, amidst a tension, not knowing who to trust and who to draw to because at one moment, who they find to be safe becomes harmful. And so they draw back and Mm -hmm. then wait, but am I really safe? And so they go back to the individual that maybe harms them because they appear safe again and then they get hurt. And so they pull back. So they're constantly oscillating back and forth. Who can I trust? Which leaves them... Uh, like I was saying earlier, zero ground, like no ground zero, nowhere no. to build yeah. from, because no you foundation. have no foundation of who to trust, in. and so I think as important it is as it is to talk about the attachment style, my heart is massively focused on how these attachment styles are formed, mm. and I think this is kind of where I want to. I want to talk, and you know you can take it wherever you'd like. but there's something called the big six. And I, have we talked about the big six before?:
0: I don't think so. I know about the big five personality. Oh. Traits, okay, like, so the,
1: the big six yeah. are the six basic needs that every child needs, or, yeah, needs emotionally. Hmm. And these are the things that, if they are absent will form your attachment. So I just want to like go through them one by one.
0: And that's a really interesting thing you just said though, is like that these things being missing is Mm -hmm. what forms the attachment. It's not like these are the ingredients that make the attachment. It's the lack of these things that redirect a person to attach in one of those Mm. three specific attachment styles.
1: Yeah, because the reality is is that there is a fourth attachment, and that's a secure attachment. It's someone Ah. who, uh, in the midst of tension or conflict, they don't find themselves anxious or afraid because they know that the attachment in the relationship is secure. That if you and I, David, if you and I are uh, secure, if we have a disagreement, it's going to be okay. Yes. But most of us if we're honest are terrified when there's a disagreement we're terrified yes. when there's an a threat and that's because we have been raised to believe that threat could ultimately lead to complete distance
0: oh my gosh there's so much in this about healthy friendships too like yes. there, this is good. this is crazy because i'm just thinking of like two responses in friendship relationships is one is like that extreme kind of fear of like, if I lose, you know, this attachment, I'm losing everything because they have that external like basis of, um, control kind of, you know, like this, this person validates my existence in a way, but Mm. the other response is to go to like extreme cold shoulder. Well, I never needed anybody anyway, you know, which Mm -hmm. is, I think that, that like, um, avoidant is avoidant mm-hmm. the Yeah. Yeah. So the avoidant attachment would just say, well, yeah, it just proves my my theory that I can never trust anyone anyway. Mm. And um,
1: And and they didn't choose yeah. like in their brain, they did not choose to be wired that way. Mm. But they now have to, like the reality is they now have to navigate that. They have to yes. navigate, okay, I don't trust people. I need to I need to figure out how to trust people.
0: Yeah, or I don't trust myself.
1: Or I don't how trust do I myself. Come,
0: how do I come to trust myself in some way?
1: Or I, in, in the worst case scenario, I don't trust anything or anyone. Yeah. These are not things that we have chosen. These yeah. are things that have been formed in us. But that doesn't excuse us from any role in this. That's right. So, yeah, the absence of pretty much any of these six begins to form.
0: Mm
1: the child at one, two, which means that like your, your kid is in the crib and they can't communicate. It's your response to that 16 month old. Like as a parent, it is terrifying because (laughs) right now I have an 18 month old sleeping right now. And ever since I started learning about this, I thought, oh man, I hope I don't mess up my kid. Mm. But it's it's really important to know that the parents' role, and that this, this is the the moment of hope for for me and any parent is is that a parent only needs to get it right fifty percent of the time.
0: Wow. Okay. If a parent, so these six things need to be. We'll, we'll get to like them. Dosed in fifty percent of the time, and you're you're looking all right.
1: Yeah. If you have okay. a failing grade, your child will be secure. Hmm. That's pretty That's helpful. Good. That's pretty yeah. helpful. I can get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the six. Okay. Um, so the first thing, and I, I, I would just love to hear your thoughts as we break down each of yeah. these, because to me, each of them are incredibly. To be honest, each of them are painful for me. When I sat down a year ago, and. Navigated each of these six things and asked myself, you know, as a child, as a teenager, did I receive these things from my primary caregivers? I genuinely said no to every one of them. Mm. Mm. Um, and so I'd love to like hear your thoughts because, you know, in my journey, it's like, oh, I wish I had this. Mm. I want to know what this is like. Yeah. So the first one is is attunement. Um, this is when a parent is emotionally attuned. Are they able to recognize on the child's face or their body language that something's off? Are they able to... Just simply notice it's that's all it is. It's attuning ourselves. Are we able to attune ourselves to the other individual and see? So-and-so is sad. Sally is angry. David mm-hmm. is confused. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one probably that most of us can do. Right. Even if you have the lowest. EQ, even if you yeah, have the, yeah. yeah, even if you're not emotionally strong per se, sure. Um, we're all human. We all have the ability to have compassion and empathy, yes. and we all have this in our DNA. Yeah. Um. But apparently, and I guess obviously, it's very important. It's it's a pillar. For someone to be seen, mm. to be recognized emotionally. Mm. Because it's easy to see like someone's body language or what they're right. talking about, but feelings. Like, I just as I look at you, David, I'm trying to navigate what is he feeling?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think there's some people that have this handicap almost of wearing every emotion on their sleeves in some ways it's a handicap in some ways I think it's a blessing Um, and I'm just trying to think of where that maybe comes from if that's if that's just like a personality trait that's kind of dealt out to us because it does feel like certain people telegraph their emotions like much Mm. more than others Um, like my wife Kim is super expressive you know, like you know in split seconds what she's feeling because her face like really matches her internal world really closely. Mm. And I was just thinking to myself, like when that disconnect maybe happened, you know, is because I feel, um, I have an interior world that often feels very different than the exterior presentation, Mm. you know? So like I'll be reading a text message and just thinking about it and Kim's like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just I'm just concentrating on like what this is saying right now." She's like, "You look really yeah. worried or angry." I was like, I, "No, I'm just trying to figure out what this says, you know, and mm-hmm. there's there's a mismatch there." And mm. part of that I think is, you know, I'm an internal processor, so I like to really think through what's on the inside before I Release it outside, um. Which that's probably that's a whole nother big rabbit trail. But I just wonder, for, yeah, for many of us, it's probably at some point we realized it wasn't safe to mm. to let our interior world come right out. And yes. I think actually, like in Christian homes too, there's a big, big um, uh, pitfall for kids to to have that become a problem because there are these. In, in certain Christian households, you know, there's like high moral expectations. Like, mm. you know, you're supposed to act in a certain way, behave in a certain way. Um, And, yeah. and if certain things come out that betray that, like that you're not in, in that way, you know, judgment comes or the feeling of separation could come if your parents are upset with you for that. So... I think yeah in in some ways that's that's one thing we have to navigate a little extra probably growing up in in the christian subculture you know is how we make sure that we're leaving space for for kids to really express what's happening internally without the fear of it being i don't know mm. it, it's almost down on as too it, quick.
1: it's almost as if th- in a lot of Christian culture, negative emotions, for some reason, communicate that you have a lack of faith.
0: Yes. Oh, see, that's really good. And that's a huge pain point. I feel in church, you know, yeah, at, like Sunday services. I talk about this all the time. Just the feeling of it's unsafe to be vulnerable in like Sunday gatherings. And like, why is that?
1: Mm. Like there's,
0: just this unspoken expectation in so many churches that you have to be doing okay. That yeah. Day.
1: And, and that's why I don't really think that the uh, attunement is typically the issue. Like, yes, you have people who have higher attunement and lower attunement, but because of our response to negative emotions, sadness, anger, confusion, because again, the Christian culture kind of slaps on the wrist negative emotions it shows that we're at least attuned to it that we see that oh they're not happy but that's a threat right we want people to be happy and joyful in the name of jesus which is all good things but yeah like this the bible is like a third of the bible is really sad
0: (laughs) (laughs) maybe more <laughs> yeah maybe more though, for sure. yeah, it's true like it's so the triggered. bible
1: is full of heartbreak and confusion and it makes sense because we are struggling to return mm. until this miraculous yes. event happens
0: yes and
1: jesus you know unzips and lets yes. it yes. opens us and welcomes us back to to his kingdom and So the attunement's there, it's part of the DNA. Mm. But that's where the second one comes in. The second one is responsiveness. So now that we are attuned to the child,
0: Mm.
1: are we willing to respond? Are we willing to offer compassion, kindness, mercy? Are we willing to see that their discomfort needs to be met Mm. by specifically a parent who is a comforter right and you know that's that's exactly talking about um the negative emotions cuz most of this is is in regards to negative emotions you know you don't mm-hmm. typically find a parent who's like unwilling to be attuned or respond to to a child who's laughing
0: that's yeah that's a great point Man, that's a great point.
1: It's typically a child who is maybe a little depressed. Or, I mean, coming back to the like the true analogy, a baby who's crying. Right. A baby who is sitting but not wanting to play. Mm. A toddler who won't eat their lunch. These are all things that, That parents are hardwired to notice. Right. Are we willing to respond? And so now we take this, we translate it to friendship. When I notice a friend is dysregulated, am I willing to meet them there? Or will that negative emotion be a threat to my own journey? Will I allow that to be a threat to my own journey?
0: That's huge. It's like, again, I'm thinking of maybe the two responses between the avoidant and ambivalent. You know, the the avoidant, again, might just be tempted to cut ties, saying like, "Ah, oh, this person's dragging me down. You know, they're a killjoy. I'm done. But then the other extreme is like the... Um, <laughs> the overly attached caretaker
1: Uh and
0: like we see those types of friendship dynamics happen all the time like i've i've had that happen like a couple times in my life where someone became very like attached to me as like a a a caregiver almost sort of way like they they were using me to help kind of soothe soothe tension in their life Uh and um And that just feeds into like this savior complex, you know, where you can, you can find so many Bible verses to justify just like bending over backwards to, to try to like carry that person. Mm. So I'm just thinking in, in, you know, friendship examples that we've all probably walked through is one is the person who never really feels like they're really for you. You know, like you're kind of always just on the peripheral of their life uh, but then the other one is the one that's like this unhealthy dynamic of someone constantly like leeching emotional care from one and the other one just continually giving which is probably uh-huh. more that amb- ambivalent yep. relationship yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely yeah. um what what it makes me think of is I've been listening to a lot of podcasts that, for obvious and sad reasons, talks a lot about narcissism in our culture today. How mm. fast it's growing, mm. is specifically because of a social media world. Yeah, um, and I find that individuals have a hard time responding to one's dysregulation because. We typically try to filter someone's problems through our own life, mm. I, and I—I I guess I'll break that down because it—it it makes sense to a degree. We're human. If you like have a bad relationship with your parents, yeah, it makes sense for me to immediately think, "Well, what's my relationship with my parents?" Like, it's—it's it's part of connection and relation. Yeah. But I find that we are we as in me <laughs> and all of us are really quick to take our own journey and put it on someone else's journey yeah so if like you if you have a a if you are deciding to have boundaries for the first time in your life mm-hmm. and you you have Found it necessary to put boundaries. Let's just say with your parents, mm. and I know I need those boundaries, but I'm too afraid. Mm. And all I'm thinking about is giving you advice that makes me feel better. Right. I'm not going to actually respond to you. I can't respond to you because I'm thinking too much about my own stuff.
0: Yes. Yes. I'm a.
1: Att- I'm attuned to me, not you. Right. Oof. And I think that's where we get into little problems, is because these. These, dysregulation is real. Sadness and brokenness are real. And again, there's power in meeting our own brokenness with like a broken person. Like that's community, broken people. Mm -hmm. But if we can't get out of our own way, how are we supposed to actually see? What does David need right now? What does David want right now? What doesn't David need right now? Because all I'm thinking about is, what do I actually want?
0: Oh man, this instantly just like brought up this like favorite quote of mine from this guy named John Butler, who's like an Englishman. He's, that's right. He's, he's like one of our mascots. <laughs> he totally looks like the philosopher in meditation from Rembrandt's <laughs> painting. But but he, he was like, um, as like a young man, he went off to like, I think Argentina to become like an organic farmer, which was like super cutting edge for the age. It was like the 1930s or something. And he's like, I'm going out to change the world. And like he was just having a lot of problem, like the crops were failing, the people in the community like weren't really taking to him well. And he was just sitting by a tree one day and um, he had this phrase just like come to him and it said, to make whole, be whole. Mm. And it was it realizing like you, you have nothing to give basically that you haven't first received, you know, so to make the mm. world a whole place, you have to be whole. And I think that's um, very much tied to like the need for us all to find that secure attachment before we have any ability. Because otherwise it's just unhealthy attachment style connecting with unhealthy attachment style. It's like we're all bumping up against each other with like these these plugs that just will never really click into place with each other. There has to be first a single, at least one secure attachment to build a life off of, you know, like then you actually have an anchor point to connect to. And like, Uh, it's no stretch to to know that that's God. But then how do you, how do you first do that? Well, and then how do you connect healthily to others from that foundation point? Like that's, that's the, you know, billion dollar (laughs) <laughs> Christian experience question is, is how do we, how do we form and, and, and live in that secure attachment? And then I think so much about what we're trying to get at in our conversations is like, what does it actually look like to connect well from that place? Mm, you know? Yes.
1: Yes. Mm. So number three is, uh, engagement is mm. the primary caregiver willing to Engage with the child on a heart-to-heart level. Mm. The reality is that we are relational beings. We are made from the Trinitarian community of love. It is that is the 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 very beginning was this relationship, this loving community. And we are birthed from that. And so it makes perfect sense that within our own core needs is that the people over us would see us and pursue us and know us. And we have come constantly come up against plenty of generations who find that to be ooey gooey. (laughs) That's the mom's role, quote unquote like this is typically i think where father's struggle right like is right. the is the parent willing to sit and pursue and look at their child which sounds like to many people the least productive thing in the world but when yes. you're a relational being and you don't have that you're not operating out of relationship
0: yes Oh my gosh. They almost, the first three almost sound like they're all connected to vision in mm. some way. Like Go um, on. Like the, they all, they all require awareness, you know, and I'm, mm. I'm thinking for me, the best example of a demonstrated, maybe secure attachment in the Bible is the baptism of Jesus. Mm. Where the father speaks over him, behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased. And I feel like in that one line, almost all of the emotional needs or all of the emotional needs are are like demonstrated and like met. So that first one is behold. It's like, not only do I see you fully, but I'm also like, I'm calling attention to you. Uh-huh. like I- I'm proud for you to be beheld uh, but so much of I think these first three needs they do come from like that idea of beholding are you able to really truly behold someone and to do that you have to be beheld <laughs> otherwise yes. you're still focusing on on receiving that so it's almost like we can't truly see others until we know we have been deeply seen because otherwise we're still searching for that seeing we're still searching for um someone something to see us and i think that's what stops us you know from seeing others it's like so many times you go to a, a party or like just any social gathering and you realize you know nobody's listening or looking to you they're just thinking How is this person responding to me? Mm, And if the whole room is doing that, no one sees anybody but themselves.
1: Yeah. It's it's very much why, um, you know, Jesus, fully God, fully human. So plenty of heartache amidst all of all his rejection. But it's why he was able to keep going. You had such a secure attachment to his father. Yes. Yes. That amidst all the conflict he was secure right or he went back to his security and was made secure again i i bet he didn't feel very secure in the garden i'm sure he felt very broken but he went back to security and the reality is that every relationship has conflict every relationship has bumps in the road but for some reason, I'm think of. I think I've already said this. the The idea of conflict is so threatening to us. Yeah, it's it's this idea that if conflict comes, this relationship will entirely be severed. But a secure person trusts that bumps don't break, like <laughs> disagreements. Line. Dis disagreements don't have to create an an end point that they don't have yeah. to destroy, they don't have to we can and if there is tears, we can repair yes that and and that just screams Jesus like yes. Jesus is crucified, he mm-hmm. you know goes into the grave, he raises from the dead, and then he makes breakfast for his friends Yes, like he repaired everything with his friendships because yeah, he was secure. He
0: initiated that, which is crazy, too, cuz he was the one that was wronged. Yes. Yeah, you know, he was the one betrayed by all of his friends. But it's like again, he's he's not um is it uh avoidant? Avoidant would be the one that would cut off yes from them. So it's it, he didn't fall into the temptation then to avoid those who betrayed him mm. and to turn inwardly and just say, well, no, it's done. I've done it. It's like he, he was still post-resurrection secure to, to re-establish connection. Yes. To be the one to initiate that. It's insane.
1: It's beautiful and so foreign.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's godly.
1: It's godly. So, number four is uh, uh, regulation, is the ability for the primary caregiver to uh, regulate the child's emotions. So, dysregulation, they kind of see it as a a scale. Mm. One to three is when uh, one to three is dysregulation when you are basically depressed, when you are slothful and saddened, yep. and you don't want to do anything.
0: Yeah, unmotivated.
1: Um, just, unmotivated, yeah. yes. Four, five, yeah. and six is what they call regulated. So you don't have to be perfect. Yeah, You can be a little off, but you can still be regulated if you're just a little off. And then um, four, five, six, the numbers are off somewhere, but seven, eight, nine, the, the three higher ones, Yeah, um, is when you're overstimulated, is when you are just like freaking out, you yeah. are incredibly anxious. You may have anger issues. And and so regulation is when a parent is able to be attuned, see the dysregulation, yeah. respond to the dysregulation, and then bring comfort. So mm-hmm. if a child is throwing a temper tantrum, they sit with them and they calm them down and they bring them back to level. Or if they're saddened and they're not listening like if they're, they're saddened and they're not maybe like wanting to play or they just don't feel motivated or seem motivated, they're able to stimulate them and, oh, let's go play with our toys. And they're yes. able, like, it's kind of like a pendulum. And a yes. parent's role is to regulate, to balance out the emotions if they seem to fall one way or another out of line. And that's oh my hard.
0: God. That's so, like, I, I would guess too that the avoidant person like a detachment style would, would hang out a lot more in the one, two, three, and the ambivalent would hang out more in the seven, eight, nine. And and I say that because again, tying this back to friendship and how we socially interact now, like as adults, the, the, the unmotivated one, again, really doesn't care about connecting with people. They've gone so far internally Mm -hmm. separated. They've, they moved so far, you know, into that separation field that there's no drive or like impetus to connect with other people. But then the 789, the overstimulated, they're overly connected to people. Mm-hmm. They care way <clears throat> too much about how everybody in the room is feeling. And I don't know like it seems I meet a lot more people who struggle on that side uh, like mm. these days that they just feel like social anxiety. I think that's mm. that's probably a symptom of that ambivalent Attachment style.
1: And it's also feeling
0: everybody in the room. You're just so aware of like, what does that person think? What do they think? What do they think? What do they think? Whereas like the avoidant person's like, I don't really care what anybody here thinks. It's like, and I don't really care about anything, which is like that depressive spiral. I think so many people were so stimulated, like you were saying earlier. Uh just like the social media thing, this it's that constant seeking what what do the people around me Think about me. Do can I trust them?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, ambivalent attachment is also called the anxious attachment. So you, <sighs> you it hit is. it right. You hit it right on the head.
0: You led me to the water, though, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um.
1: So yeah, the uh, number number five we actually already touched on. Uh, ironically, uh, it's the uh, ability to deal with negative emotions. Or as Adam Young puts it, strong enough to deal with negative emotions, Mm. and that just goes back to, for some reason, negative emotions are scary and threatening to people, Mm. and I don't entirely know why. I mean, I understand that like rage and anger can create things like violence, and like you know, one wants a five-year-old throwing a temper tantrum, yeah, but yeah for some reason we we are intimidated by sadness and sorrows and and disappointment mm. so are we willing are we willing to welcome negative emotions so and i guess i'll just jump to number 6 since we touched on that um number 6 is uh is the primary caregiver Willing to repair. So when there is a disagreement or some sort of tear in the relationship, Mm -hmm. is the primary caregiver willing to get off their high horse, even if they're in the right? Are they willing to sit with their child and repair? Or if they're wrong, you know, right. that's, that's the thing. Parents are wrong all the time. You know, <laughs> if a success is 50% of the time, yeah, then that's 50% of the time where it is necessary for the parent to say, I am sorry. And do you know how quick kids are to forgive? Like it's crazy. So fast. It's true. They're so compassionate and merciful most of the time.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and so it's so funny to me that as parents, we can have such a hard time apologizing because yeah. the kid is just so eager to apologize.
0: Yes. Yes. That's a, that's a fascinating one to me. That, that literally is a huge one for me. Just thinking back of like the, the, the times that my parents apologized when I was younger are like these massive landmark moments. Mm. of just like, that was amazing. You know, like. It's incredible. And just, um, yeah, wishing that would happen probably more. Um, mm. And and just so many parents, you know, that I talk to that, like, why is that so hard? I think it's it's interesting that, again, going back to Jesus, like he was the w- more emotionally mature one. And mm. so he was actually able to repair a relationship that he didn't fracture yes which is that's fascinating like it's it flips everything on its head where we think the responsibility is on the one who is showing more emotional immaturity so that would almost always be the child we think like intuitively they need to do something right now to repair this when jesus being the much more emotionally advanced you know member in the in the group he was the one, like you said, he stepped off the highest horse. <laughs> 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 like he, he stepped off Shadowfax, you know, like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and You're like, always going
1: to make room for Lord of the Rings. Oh, there's always. <laughs>
0: yeah, Lewis and Tolkien are, they're here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like he as the more emotionally mature one the one that didn't divide the relationship that didn't cause any of the you know yeah. dysregulation he initiated which is amazing like it's so convicting to me
1: and you know i just i look at these again attunement responsiveness engagement ability to regulate emotions strong enough to handle negative emotions and willingness to repair mm. Okay, these are big things and difficult things at times for a parent to do. I'm a parent, so I'm not like I'm not saying that. Oh, these are easy when I <laughs> when I say what I'm about to say. But when you look at all of these things, it doesn't require like workshops or right high skill right. or like attunement. Like, am I able to see you? Respond? Am I able to respond to you? Engage? Am I actually going to take time to know you? Ability to regulate. Will I sit with you when you're dysregulated? Strong enough to handle negative emotions? Will I have courage in this one moment and willingness to repair? Will I apologize? Like these, these are big things. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like here's this nine month course. David of how <laughs> masterclass to do the big six. Yeah. Yeah. It just takes commitment and love <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of love.
0: <laughs> yes. And, and to make whole be whole. <clears throat> I think it's, it's still, there still is an invitation built into that to, uh, to be secure yourself. Yeah. Like to find ground zero, like you were talking about earlier, like we all have that responsibility to find ground zero for ourselves uh, because then we truly can um, help build foundations for others. Like we, we Mm. we have a platform to build off of. And so like the internal work that we do is, is directly benefiting the people we then, you know, connect with going forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is all knowledge. Mm. These are all stats and (laughs) facts. Yeah. And it's important. It's really important to know that these are the six things that we need relationally and emotionally. And when we have a void of some of them or any of them, it forms dysfunction and it forms uh a attachment style that is insecure yeah it is good to know these things but ultimately like the goal is then okay well then what what do i do with this Mm. like what do i okay maybe i lacked some of this or a lot of this or maybe you you know maybe you had all of it and you're the most secure person in the world then you probably shouldn't be (laughs) listening to this podcast (laughs) But let's say like you're missing some of it and you find that you're ambivalent or avoidant or chaotic. Yeah. I have been um, pretty overwhelmed in a, in a positive way on the path forward. Like what do you do when you realize you're disorganized? That's another yeah. word for uh, the chaotic attachment and therapists are finding that one of the most healing things that you can do is to share your story to to literally share your experience of not having these six things to share yeah. your experience of what it feels like to not trust people to trust yourself or anyone they say that neurologically in the brain when you share your story specifically to an emotionally attuned person it begins to reform the brain to security. Beautiful. And it's, okay, that takes, again, it's not to say that it isn't hard and it doesn't take courage to share your story. But it's also not like, okay, David, you need to have like brain surgery now (laughs) to fix you.
0: Yeah, we all can do that. We all know what our story is. And it is challenging build up the boldness encouraged to share that. But mm. it's so available, so accessible it's to all of us. so
1: available. And specifically to an emotionally attuned person, to someone right. who's going to encourage that story. And I think it's interesting that you say that we all know our story, but the reality is, is there there are very important things amidst our story that we're not aware of.
0: Yeah, great point.
1: That, that our brain to to protect itself, has cut ourselves off of memories and realities that have taken place in the past. And they say that when you share your story, those memories begin to open up. Mm. And so like, okay, you may think, oh, I know my story. I don't need to share it. Well, the more you share it to an an emotionally attuned individual, the more it opens yourself to it. And the more you begin to heal when you realize, and that's going to take you know, tears, it's going to be painful. It takes looking in the mirror and saying this wasn't my fault. Cuz like ugh, I'm okay, I guess to take a step back,
0: but it it's is my so, responsibility back to it is my res- earlier, just it, it to is carry my respons- up that little term. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. my fault, but it is my responsibility, which is such like ah, oh, I I just love that. It's so empowering but also liberating. Yeah, to know like yeah. that, you know, many of the problems in our lives were not caused by us, but now the, the solutions to them, we do have a role. We yeah. do have a responsibility.
1: to Yeah, be and part that's of that. and that's where, like you know, this this whole idea of attachment theory starts with our relation to our parents, and then how that forms our relation to other people. But this easily, so easily, translates to our relation with the father. Like yeah. so
0: easily. Take because us there. I think that's that's where we're we're landing. This this is where we're Land landing. Yeah,
1: is that okay, maybe your parent wasn't there for you. Maybe both your parents weren't there for you. And maybe you find yourself to be lacking a lot of emotional care and you feel like the most chaotic person on the planet. You still have access to the most secure father who wants to hear your story, who wants to bring you to people where you can share your story, Amen. You know they they say they say that your attachment style will forever be your default. But that doesn't mean that you can't heal and progress forward. Yes. Yeah, okay, if you become scared and act out of out of fear, you will naturally default back to whatever you were raised in. But yes. that doesn't mean you are in bondage to that attachment style. Doesn't so mean good. that the father won't and can't, or is unwilling to make you a secure person. Yes. Oh my God. And gosh. so that's the goal. That's the goal right there. Okay. I want to become a secure person. I have to find the most secure person. I will vouch for community. I will vouch yeah. for therapy. I will vouch for good friendships and marriage, yes. but it's the Father yes. who's going to offer you the deepest security. Why? Going back to the, uh, the Jesus's uh, baptism, baptism,
0: Amen. he was
1: beheld. That's he it. Was behold. Yes,
0: He yes. was beloved, and beloved. And when when we're looking out into each other, like into the world, into our neighbors, we can say like, behold, you know, the beloved of God, you know, yes. in whom God is well pleased to dwell, like, it, and that makes us attuned. Then we become those safe, attuned people because we, we not only are receiving that, the beholding of God, we're receiving our belovedness from him. We're receiving the fact that he's proud of us. He's pleased of us. But then we get to look out into our neighbor's eyes, our friend's eyes and say, that is one who God is drawing my attention to. He says, behold to the crowd, you know, Mm -hmm. like he's saying it to Jesus but it's also like John the Baptist is hearing this so it's not only like I see you son it's like I want others to see you Mm. I want others to love you I want others to be well pleased in you and it's like when we look out um, into the world like we're looking out to say God this is someone you want me to behold this is someone that you value as your beloved this is someone who you are well-pleased to dwell inside of. And I think that would make us just the most attuned people in the world who we really could then share our stories in safety because there, there's, there's nothing lacking anymore. You know, we're, we're secure.